Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Mole Valley Farmers. Now that spring is here and the weather is starting to warm up, parasites like ticks are becoming more active. In this podcast, we look at tick-borne diseases in both cattle and sheep and how we can effectively manage them. Here's what's coming. As well as you know, being a bit of a nuisance, um, they, because of their blood-sucking tendencies, they act as a really effective vector for a whole host of diseases, really. So, you know, viruses, bacteria and protozoal um, infections that they can spread through their saliva. Quite a few of our clients who may have never had um, babesiosis on farm, what they're doing now is through the strategic grazing, they're sort of bringing these younger, naive animals to an endemic area where they know they're sort of like quite a ticky area um, and getting them exposed to the ticks at a young age. So let's get into this then, with vets Alice Coppin-Harris and Steph Patel. Hi Steph, hi Alice, lovely to uh, hear from you both again on the Mole Valley podcast. How are you all doing? Hello, really good, thank you. We're going to be talking today about ticks and why tick prevention is so important. So what risks do they pose to our livestock? Quite a lot really. Obviously ticks are um, a type of ectoparasite that they kind of act by latching onto their host and sucking their blood effectively. So as well as you know, being a bit of a nuisance, um, they because of their blood sucking tendencies, they act as a really effective vector for a whole host of diseases, really. So, you know, viruses, bacteria and protozoal um, infections that they can spread through their saliva. Um, so listeners are probably aware of, you know, the risk they pose to humans in a way by transmitting Lyme disease. But to our livestock, we're generally most concerned about um, a few a few different ones really. So babesiosis or red water um, and lalping ill and then tick-borne fever as well and tick pyemia, which is actually more of a secondary infection. Um, but yeah, these are the ones we're most concerned about in our sort of cattle and sheep species. Um, and all of these diseases can cause production losses and mortality as well as, you know, obvious welfare concerns that we'd be, be aware of and concerned about. Um, so yeah, I think we'll we'll chat about those today, I guess, and um, and treatments as well um, for things to look out for. You mentioned there there being over twenty species of ticks. I mean, I'm no tick expert. I just thought that you know you walk through uh, the fields and you might pick up one or two. I didn't realise there were so many. But do they actually have a specific habitat? Yeah, they do. So the, yeah, like you say, there's there's over twenty different species of ticks in the UK, um, and the one we're most worried about would be Ixodes uh, ricinus, or otherwise known as the sheep tick. Um, and yeah, their habitat, so they like warmer weather, um, like a lot of us, but that means, you know, that in the wintertime, they're less, they're less active, you know, so we see that this natural rise in tick numbers as the weather warms up. Um, so, you know, from spring to autumn is when they kind of are more, most active and most prevalent in the UK. Um, and yeah, their, their habitat is really, they like warm, wet areas with a lot of plant life and a lot of vegetation. So you know, we'll see a lot of ticks in our woodlands and heathlands um, and on rough ground as well. So if, you've, if your farm kind of borders any of these areas or if you've got, you know, large areas of, of vegetation and thick hedgerows and things like that, then you might see more and more, more, and more ticks on there. Um, deer populations as well. So ticks latch onto deer and then they can sort of spread them through as well. So, yeah, these, these are all kind of things that make a perfect habitat for that. Um, so obviously we're down in the southwest, um, so we've got great habitat for ticks as well as a warm and wet climate, so really optimal conditions. So we do see high volumes of ticks down here. Um, I often definitely get a few when I'm out running and biking and things like that on the common. So, yeah, things to look out for for people as well as all, all the animals. Yeah, I think we're going to hear of uh, 
slightly scary story that you are going to give us uh, slightly later in this podcast, uh, Alice. But Steph, for you, have you seen any change to tick prevalence recently? Yes, definitely. We've um, over the last year we've seen a lot of um, ticks. We've been called out to numerous different cases of sort of tick-borne fever and babesiosis. And what we've sort of really noticed actually is that there's less of a defined period of when these sort of cases are occurring, and it's much more spread out across the the year. So it's definitely worth noting actually that um, certainly in terms of prevention as well on on the animals that actually we need to probably be putting those putting those in places a lot earlier in the season and, and letting it go on for a lot longer. Um, you know, last year was a really hot summer. We saw a lot of migration of ticks, you know, farmers reporting cases of these tick-borne diseases in areas that, that never had an issue before. So they're definitely, you know, area-wise, they're definitely migrating and becoming more of a problem. I mean, it seems incredible that they will migrate like that. But as you say, it does make perfect sense. And Alice, I just mentioned it there about you saying going out running or biking. What happened uh, last summer to you? Yeah, I'm not sure. I really should want to get public with this number but yeah last year actually after a run of the common I, I came back and there was like 15 ticks just crawling over my legs which is the most I have ever seen for sure I was a bit horrified by them just kept crawling off my shoes so um yeah I think last year was definitely you know I saw them a lot as a vet but also yeah out running and things like that there was definitely high numbers so I wonder if that might be you know what's gonna keep happening as, as, as our climate changes like Steph said you know and migrating migration of ticks as well um so yeah definitely could be risk going forward, couldn't it? Did you manage to sweep them off before they bit you? Uh, most of them, yeah. Uh, I found them actually when I was in my parents' kitchen, so I was um, swiftly moved out of the house to do, to get rid of them. But yeah, no, I got them all off, thankfully. Children are bringing lots of things home to their parents' houses, but ticks, I'm sure, is one thing they do not want to have come in. <coughs> more care farm vets are here to help their farming clients to thrive, become more resilient and to support their businesses to grow with the health and welfare of the animals at the core. Their dedicated team of experienced veterinary professionals work in collaboration with nutritionists, agronomists and registered animal medicine advisors and cover a wide area across Devon. If you'd like more information, then please call 01392 347 240. That's 01392 347 240. <laughs> So let's start with cattle then. What diseases will affect them? So there's two main diseases really that um, we'd be concerned about for cattle. So babesiosis or redwater fever, farmers might know it as, um, and tick-borne fever as well. Uh, they can also be affected by Laupinga, which we might touch on a bit later on. But um, yeah, the, mo- the ones that we most commonly encounter would be babesiosis and tick-borne fever. So um, babesiosis, this is caused by a protozoal parasite um, called Babesia divergens and this is um, passed between cattle by ticks so it's um, it's spread to the cow um, from the tick through their saliva um, and then it's a little parasite that invades the cow's red blood cells basically once it's once it's in this cell it causes them to rupture um, and so obviously that's then going to lead to um, anemia where the cow is effectively losing losing blood in a way because you know those those red blood cells that are vital for transporting oxygen around the body are, are being burst right, wide open. Um, so the most common signs farmers will see would be this anemia or you know a pale colour, um, a high fever as well, and then haemoglobinuria. So that's looks like blood in the urine basically, and and is hence the name red water. So that's often the first kind of sign farmers will spot either. You know, high fever and animals looking a bit dull and lethargic, but then on further inspection, you know, they see this this red urine coming out, and that's normally when they pick up the phone. Um, so, 
other things they can have like a pipe stem diarrhea and then after a couple of days this then becomes constipation um, as the animals gradually progress and become weak and wobbly and then you know high heart rate high respirate as the disease is taking hold of them um so if if we get called out for something like this we'll we'll try and get it diagnosed um by a blood test um where you know they look for the parasite in the actual blood cells um under a microscope and things like that um and then it would be swift treatment really would be key so this involves an injection of a drug that would be prescription only so your vet would have to come out and give it to the animals um it's called imidacarb but interestingly it's got really long meat withdrawal period um so you know it's not one that you just want to be throwing around and, and giving just in case kind of thing so um it's actually 213 days the meat withhold period so that can be quite a big factor to a lot of a lot of farmers you know especially if it's affecting animals that will be going off to, for slaughter at, at some point um so yeah and then another treatment method as well which we've actually done a few of haven't we Steph would be um if the animal's anemic enough so you know if, it, if its PCV is low enough then a blood transfusion is going to be needed um just in order for for the animal to survive really so and we'll do this on farm um using blood taken from a fit and healthy donor cow so we were chatting before before we started recording, weren't we, about how to actually how we've done blood transfusions on farm, um, and it's it's basically you'll have your animal that's sick, and then you'll get a fit, healthy animal that's obviously not affected by babesiosis, um, and then we'll take blood from that animal and pop, put it into the the, the sick cow. Um, but it's it's a lot about intensive care after that as well, isn't it? You know, if you've given an animal blood transfusion, we need to make sure she's got optimal sort of TLC afterwards as well going forward. And are all leeches affected? No, so generally um, with clinical sort of babesiosis, you've seen in animals um, who are older than two years old. Um, so clostridium immunity should protect calves for about two months old and they will develop an innate immunity for between three to nine months. So young animals can become infected, but they will generally show fewer clinical signs and they may even be subclinical. So the the, the key is is to basically expose those animals um, to get that immunity on board. So the trick is to get them exposed to sort of under nine months of age to protect them in later life. So this can be done through strategic grazing. So um, quite a few of our clients who may have never had um, babesiosis on farm what they're doing now is through the strategic grazing, they're sort of bringing these younger, naive animals to an endemic area where they know they're sort of like quite a ticky area um, and getting them exposed to the ticks at a young age. Uh, the only risk there as well posed is if you have it, if you buy in any animals that have not been obviously previously exposed um, to them, the risk is quite high because obviously they've never seen it before. And if they go into sort of a ticky area on your farm, then they're sort of potentially the ones that could come down with it. Um, you know, low tick numbers or years of no exposure will reduce animals' immunity. So that's just also something to bear in mind. Um, equally, on the flip side of that, you know, you've got animals who have that um, innate immunity, but if they are exposed to really high numbers of ticks and they're really pickled in it, along with sort of like physiological stress, heat stress, or bringing down, you know, again, bringing animals into a naive herd, they can still come down with it just because they're, you know, there's only so much their immune system can deal with and it becomes overwhelmed. Yeah. And likewise, you know, it's naive animals and things like that but also you know you might be in a ticky area mighty stuff but if those ticks if you don't have the babesiosis of that disease there but until these ticks migrate migrate into the area like we saw this summer then um yeah you might think they've been exposed previously but actually they haven't been until the these ticks might move in with the disease yeah there's no real way of knowing in that sense is there I suppose for all things though 
prevention is a, is a good thing to, to be considering though, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, with a drug that's expensive as well as having that, that lengthy withhold and obviously, you know, you don't want your animals getting sick in the first place. Um, so yeah, really focusing on this strategic grazing to get exposure to all of these, all of these young stock, um, is definitely vital as well as good tick control. Um, and mixed grazing as well with sheep to try and just reduce that infective pressure if it is just babesiosis. Obviously, then, you know, you've got um, other diseases on farm, other tick-borne diseases that we'll, we'll chat about in a moment, then it makes it a bit difficult, doesn't it? But, um, but yeah, definitely trying to expose these young animals as soon as possible just to immunity is, is key and there's no vaccines available. So, um, yeah, it's all about sort of it, getting them that exposure um, to get their immunity that way. And Steph... Alice was there saying about other uh, illnesses that can come across as well. Tick-borne fever is obviously one of those. Yeah, so this one can affect both cattle and sheep, um, and it's spread by the same kind of tick as babesiosis, so the sheep tick, and it's basically caused by the bacteria Anaplasma phagocytophilium. So it is different to babesiosis in the sense that it targets white blood cells as opposed to the red blood cells. So once the animal's been bitten by a tick it has an incubation period of about 5 to 14 days so if this occurs in cattle the sort of main clinical signs we're looking at is sort of a dull depressed cow loss of appetite uh, if it's a milking cow drop in milk yield coughing respiratory distress and if more severe um, clinical signs could be more severe basically um, in those animals that are again brought in and have no prior immunity with sheep, it's a little bit similar. They have sort of diff to a degree. They have a sudden fever, so over 40.5 degrees Celsius uh, for five to 10 days. Again, dullness and lethargy. They can show signs of lameness, weight loss. And again, respiratory signs are, are often common. So in these animals, if they are affected with this anaplasmosis during late gestation, abortions can occur, sort of like with any other diseases late on, it sort of triggers a massive stress in the animal. Uh, and this can generally be for two to eight days after the start of the fever. The also bear in mind is that the fertility in those rams and bulls, if they are affected, could be, again, sort of like lameness and other other diseases with a high fever affect their their fertility. Um, so tick treatment is essential in the lead up to tupping. Yeah, like 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 Seth's saying with with the rams and bulls, you know, it's important that if the, if you're buying a ram in, ideally you want one that's already been exposed. But if not, then you know, you want to expose it in enough time that it will have got over the infection and things like that way in advance of going in and having to having to work as a ram at, at tapping so getting these timings right and treatment tick treatment as well is important are they likely to pick up potentially secondary infections then if this bacteria is affecting white blood cells rather than the red blood cells yeah so like Seth said you know this is going to be targeting your white blood cells which are key in your immune system and your immunity um and therefore as well as the signs that Steph mentioned, you know, generally we can also see a lot of serious um, secondary infections as well. Um, so cases of pneumonia or tick pyemia, Lalpingale, listeriosis, etc. And, and any, any other infection really that they generally pick up, they're much more susceptible to them. And it's more susceptible to more sort of severe signs as well because their immune system just can't handle handle those um, those infections. So will it affect older animals more severely like red water does? So it doesn't... Unlike Babesia, there is no colostral immunity as the maternity-derived antibodies are not protective in this disease. So really, immunity is only acquired through exposure. Uh, young animals are more susceptible, especially young, young 
lambs born in tick infested areas, but equally older animals are introduced newly to these areas can also be affected. Sounds like quite a balancing act between exposure and not exposing. There's quite a lot of uh, science behind this. So I guess, you know, you'd want to be saying to uh, farmers, you know, speak to your vets about the the best way of dealing with this, but we'll we'll come on to that again in, in, in a bit. Um, what about treatment though? Is there is there treatment for this one? So this one, there is an effective treatment. Injectable oxytetracyclines can be used preventatively in naive animals. However, obviously we do push for more responsible use of antibiotics. We want to try and manage the diseases at the source. So where the ticks are, through effective land management and tick prevention. So keeping, you know, ewes and lambs in tick-free pastures until six weeks old, allowing livestock to build up their immunity is sort of also key in in doing that. And also sort of we encourage everyone to obviously speak to their vet because it can be, some of the clinical signs can be very similar. So you sort of want to know what exactly you're dealing with. And are there any other illnesses that farmers should be aware of? Lalping ill is a viral disease that affects the nervous system in sheep. Uh, up to 96 sorry apologies 60% of naive sheep can be infected with much lower rates of 5 to 10% for those that have been exposed the main losses you'll see are those that are sort of under 2 years old uh, for the for the reason that lambs are basically protected in their first year if they have received sufficient colostrum from immune use so i.e. their mothers have been exposed and they can pass on that protection through the colostrum which then thereby then protects those lambs so it's sort of like your um your breeding ewe lambs they are the probably the ones that can be most uh, vulnerable to that potential disease so symptoms with this can vary from uh, severe sort of incoordination to death going from dull low head exposure uh, a rigid neck head muscles head pressing or tremors and where the name comes from is sort of like the, the you can guess sort of quite a lalping gait. With this disease, unfortunately, there is no treatment. So the main focus here is really reducing those tick burdens on those young sheep. And that's mainly through ectoparasites, so application outside of the animal and dipping, really. And that really covers basically our last um, tick-borne disease in sheep. You mentioned there, obviously, previously about some secondary infections occurring after the tick-borne fever. Let's just hear a little bit more about that. Can you elaborate on those? Yeah, so that brings us on quite nicely really, to chat about tick pyemia, like we mentioned um, just now. And this is a disease that's associated with with ticks, but it's actually caused by um, a staph infection, so Staphylococcus aureus. Um, and this is just a bacteria that, you know, can enter the bloodstream of young lambs through tick bites or through other routes as well. So, you know, a wound or an infected, um, an infected umbilicus, for example. Um, but the important thing here is that actually it's only really affecting animals that are already infected with um, tick-borne fever, so the anaplasma. Um, so generally it's affecting, you know, your young lambs aged 2 to 12 weeks old that are already infected with tick-borne fever um, because, you know, that's lowered their, inf- their immune systems. Then when they come into contact with this this staphylococcus, um, it really takes hold of them. And it, it's really cr- quite crippling, actually. It's, it's horrible to see, you know, they get a pyemia, so this sort of, um, infections then spreading throughout their body and it results in a crippling lameness um, and paralysis as well actually um, and you, you kind of find these abscesses throughout the body so in all in all organs and, and the joints and everything like that um, and these lambs are really quite severely affected you know it can affect up to 30% of lambs with tick-borne fever can that um, so yeah up to 30% of lambs with tick-borne fever can then go on to develop this tick pyemia um, and you can see up to sort of 50% mortality as well um, you can treat it, you know, if you go in hard with the penicillin antibiotics and things. 
But obviously recovery is slow um, and the lambs would have had huge growth checks by this point. So you know, you've really, um, a really hard sort of knock on production and productivity um, and welfare as well, for sure. Wow, that's uh, a lot to uh, to hit these young animals with, isn't it? Um, I mentioned it just prior about there's a lot of um, organisation to make sure you're doing things right and it sounds quite complicated. Um, but what would you say to farmers now if they know that they have a tick problem or they start to see any of the signs that you've mentioned? What what would you say to them that they should be doing? So, um, yeah, as with all things, vigilance goes a long way. Um, hopefully, you know, if they do have a tick problem and they're aware of what diseases they kind of have on their farm, whether they've got cattle or sheep, it's about managing those. Like you say, you know, the, the management is different in a way if you've got babesiosis or tick-borne fever as to whether you want to chuck those young animals out onto that that ground or not and um, so it's it's again chatting with your vet really to see what diseases you've got on farm and then how you can best manage those um but also yeah you you can't control the ticks in the in the sort of in the land itself but you can try to prevent the ticks on the animals themselves so you know um through good uh, good tick management good pour on treatments and things like that um and also you know as we said, I think we've said it in most most of the podcasts so far, that quarantine, you know, it is so important. We can't stress it enough. If you don't have, you can't stop the migration of ticks as such, but you can prevent buying in animals with the disease that then the ticks will bite and, and spread it, you know, to other animals, to naive animals. Um, and again, it's a lot about pasture management in, in the terms of sort of grazing management, should I say. So, yeah, making sure those animals get that immunity um, before they get clinically sick really I think anything else to add to that stuff I'd say especially as sort of you know there's definitely change in um in the BPS payments and more sort of set aside land and some people are doing a bit more rewilding and all of that sort of thing where we're sort of leaving the land maybe a little bit more fallow to a degree we are definitely leading to those ideal habitats for those ticks so inevitably I think you're going to have a rise in those tick populations in those areas because of the way the ground and the areas have been left so it Again, like Alice said, it's going back to um, being vigilant and really keeping on top of tick control and tick tick management. In that sense, you know, sort of sheep, dip, you know, dipping sheep. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the moors guys will know know a bit more about that because they do a lot more of that sort of thing, and that's actually quite quite useful. You know, it gives you a bit of a longer pre- prevention against those ticks. You know, the weather's changing, that warmer, wetter weather. All of those are just going to be leading to those increased tick numbers. And as you say, yeah, those tick numbers are increasing. And just finally, would you then say, you know, I'm sure farmers will be going back rewinding this podcast, listening to some of those tips that you gave earlier, that actually, you know, a good conversation with your vet about what you've got or what they're seeing, because they're probably seeing other farms where cases have increased. So spreading that knowledge, spreading that awareness. Chat to your vet, Steph. I guess that's that's what we're kind of saying here. Yeah, and definitely. And it's really key to know which sort of tick-borne disease you also have on farm and working that out so that you know knowledge is key here really to know what what you've got on farm and how you can deal with it and how you can reduce those cases in the future so definitely get them involved ladies as ever a real mine of information that we've imparted today thank you ever so much again for speaking to us on the more valley podcast thanks sir great thank you thanks ever so much for listening if you'd like more information about mole care farm vets then visit molecarevetservices.com that's molecarevetservices.com or give them a call their number 
is 01392 347 240. That's 01392 347 240. And until next time, I'll speak to you soon.